I used AI to interpolate all the missing frames and it looks perfect in 4K. I can't imagine how much it would have cost us if I'd taken that to a post-production house and said, can you fix this? You're talking 50K. I am stupid, but money makes me clever. I am ugly, but money makes me, because that's what it's going to be, you know. Right now, we're at the apex of the food chain. If you want to go build a house, you, without a second thought, will demolish an anthill. AGIs could want to transform the planet in a certain way. They could want to transform and utilize its resources to go into other galaxies or do things that particular type of way does not include humans. So my first question for you is, how did the idea for st Steal This Film come about and what inspired you to create a documentary on file sharing and copyright issues? Uh, well, I think that um, <clears throat> for a particular, so I come f I, at that time I was working with uh, in and around um, uh, a bunch of people who you would probably call anarchists. The, the uh, I, I guess in America the ideology is more familiar as libertarianism. Uh, in Europe, there's a flavor of libertarianism which is a which is simply called anarchism or autonomism. And uh, I think that uh, um, what was exciting uh, about peer-to-peer -peer was about peer-to-peer -peer file sharing was the idea that we had, uh, we would have a um, completely autonomous uh, infrastructure, which allowed us to distribute media without any uh, intermediaries. So it's like an earlier version of what what was going to happen with Bitcoin was happening with with media. So you, you you're pretty young, but there was a time before BitTorrent when, say, you wanted to put a video on your website on your web page, you wanted to have a, an interview like this. Uh, it would cost you a lot of money to serve that data to people, a lot of money, and people would frequently like there would be these stories about going viral, and then getting landed with a huge bill. So this was one thing that suddenly BitTorrent and peer-to-peer -peer meant that you could distribute uh, your, you could be heard and be seen, uh, distribute yourself uh, at a much lower cost. So this made something possible that wasn't possible before and that you didn't have to request anyone's permission to do it. And those two things were obviously incredibly exciting to anyone with an autonomous bent to anyone trying to escape from the yoke of the top-down broadcast media system, this suddenly looked like, oh my God, you know, um, this is the promise of the internet, uh, suddenly massively expanded. And um, so that's the way I saw it. That's coming from that particular context. I, I wasn't the only one. There were probably like 10 of us who were this excited about it, uh, who didn't just think piracy was a net negative. And so we were like, no, wait, wait, wait. All this stuff you're saying about piracy, that you wouldn't pirate a car and you're stealing from the Hollywood uh, janitor's uh, pension fund and the, all of this. Um, we were like, wait, wait, wait. Maybe there's another story to tell here. And it's a positive story about what file sharing can do for the future of uh, creativity and human flourishing. So, you know, it's a story about what happens when instead of you only being able to afford, uh, 
you know, for 15 people to see your work or needing to go to the man to ask, please, can I reach your audience of millions? What happens if now you can reach a million by yourself without asking anyone? What changes would flow out of that? And that's what Steal This Film was about. And so through that lens, we saw the Pirate Bay as, um, you know, a, liberate, a liberatory force, a force for good and a force that would improve the lives of creators. And you have to remember this was before, somewhat before Kickstarter. So there wasn't yet that what everyone wanted to know was, well, how are people going to make money doing this? We didn't know that part yet, uh, but we, uh, we, we had faith that this was a big change, like at the scale of the printing press, you know, at the scale of that kind of, uh, and yeah. And so those, these were the, these were the reasons we started. Um, but, but go ahead and ask. I could rattle on about it for a long time, but that's the context. And that's why we made Steal This Film. I was planning on touching on this later, but I'm just too curious. I got to ask right away, especially because you're talking about this idea of new business models. This evolution in artificial intelligence has created so many new tools that allow you to do things that you never could have done before. And one of the things that you're seeing most likely on Twitter and some of these other platforms now are these musical artists that are finding a way to clone the voices of other musicians and then incorporate them into their work. And so I'll give you a quick example. There's this EDM artist named David Guetta. He recently posted a video on Twitter. And in this video, it's him at a concert performing in front of this massive audience. And he's performing a song that no one's ever heard before. And in this song, Eminem is rapping for part yeah, of it. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. Which is wild. And the song was amazing. I wish it was out. But I was <laughs> listening to David Guetta talk about it. And he said that he didn't go and monetize it, put it out publicly. But he wanted to perform it and see what people thought about it. See what Eminem thought about it, more to the point. Yeah, I, I haven't looked into it any <laughs> further than everything I just told you here. But my question for you is, with your background understanding of seeing technologies get better in these types of industries in the past, yeah. I'm just wondering how you're looking at all this. What do you think is going to happen with AI and the business models built around it? <laughs> okay. It's a very it. difficult question. Yeah, and actually, I am this... like, I, just so you know, like I, so I, I didn't think we would talk about AI, but I, I am so, so, here, so, so I, I don't have many talents. Okay. But one of the talents I do have is I tend to see things before quite a long way before everybody else gets interested in them. And it's disproportionate to the amount of intelligence I have. I, but I've come, I've come to terms with that. Okay, so, so I was excited by the, the the internet before the web, when it was still only Gopher, and uh, I used to drag because I'm a literature student. I used to drag literature students when I was 17 years old into the physics lab, which was the only place you could get access to a computer <laughs> connected to the internet when I was at university. And tell them this is the future, and they'd say, "What is this? This is just a library." Or, the, um, and uh, and I knew it was a huge. I knew it was a huge change coming for these same reasons, right? You didn't have to ask permission. You could publish anything you wanted. 
when I found out that you could you could create a website by creating an HTML uh, file and putting it in your home directory, I, it blew my mind, you know. So, and, and I'll tell you this, I, I was convinced it, um, I, that the internet, that the web was going to transform everything. And of course it did, although admittedly more than I, th I thought. Um, and I'm 100% convinced that AI is bigger than, definitely bigger than the web. And probably will put an end to the web, by the way, as far as I can figure it out. I, I don't think the web will exist in the same way uh, um, very soon. And I think it's probably bigger than the Internet in terms of the changes it will make. So any question you, are, you, you want to answer about the future of intellectual property, which is one component of what you're saying, is just a tiny subset of what AI is going to do. But as to that question of intellectual property... Um, yeah, when, when, when you had the peer-to-peer -peer phase of, 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 the, of, of distribution was accompanied by this just before it was the era of sampling, right? So, you, so some few years before it, sampling started. And that was the last time that people freaked the fuck out about musical creativity and uh, uh, digital culture. So... This is quite clearly the next episode because now you can press gang, you can bring in Kanye to rap on your track if, if you wanted that. Um, you could have uh, Fleetwood Mac singers sing a new song for you. You could, soon you'll be able to write something in the style of, and people are freaking out. And I would say two things. Here's, here's one thing I noticed. So I make, the, I make music on Ableton, sometimes for my films and sometimes just for fun. And for a while now, it's occurred to me, two years ago, I must have said to my wife, you know, the way it's going, maybe you make music, I don't know, the way it's going, it seems like we're given a kit and that kit enables you to make essentially very derivative music extremely easily. And the, the, the TikTok, TikTokers and the YouTubers are kind of like, creating all these how-tos, how to make this sound, how to sound like David Guetta, how to sound like uh, this producer, Aphex Twin sound, this sound, and so on and so on. And um, so it was already the case that people were just tr mainly trying to reproduce existing sounds. And the way popular music is developed is like everyone wants to sit in a groove or try and get in a groove that's already been channeled. And so... In one way, uh, AI is just going to move that to the next stage because it's like mid-journey, right? You want to make an image in the style of, well, you don't need any skill at all for that anymore. You can move straight to the showing off phase because here's my image in the style of Salvador Dali, okay? So, that, so in one way, it's like there's nothing new except the amount of effort to do it has gone down, right? And then... Another comment is, I think there was always this underlying paradox in intellectual property, which no one really wanted to admit, which is that although, like, I'd love to claim, yeah, steal this film or this machine greens, I made this, I'm the, I'm the guy behind this. You know, there's always this sense with any creative form that you're, you're merely building on what came before you. I mean, what is a brain except 
a learning network that takes in what's available and then tries to make a, a move, a creative move with it, right? And so people always say, yeah, I'm the genius who did this. I'm the genius. But it's like, actually, you, what you're drawing on and always were is the shared language, the shared history of creativity, all the music you absorbed, all the films you absorbed, none of which you paid for. I mean, you may have paid for it incidentally by renting a film or going to the movies, but you didn't pay to leverage that knowledge, right? You don't have to pay for that. So the intellectual property is this weird construction. Do you understand what I'm saying? Where it's like, yeah, you've always got a license, but you don't actually. You, all you have to do is create something new enough for people to say, yeah, this is new, and then you get a license on it. But that doesn't stop anybody from learning from it and making a new move. And that's now been automated as well. So the, so the challenge to IP was actually always there. You know, you could, you could always learn Eminem's flows. You couldn't make yourself sound exactly like him, but you could rap like that, and people did. You, the Wu-Tang comes out, they change what rap sounds like. Everybody sounds like the Wu-Tang for a bit, you know, Aphex, and so on and so on and so on. Like everything has a style. People pick up styles, they imitate it. And we all love to say, how, you know, how great this number is, how, this song's great, it's so original. But mostly they're incredibly derivative and based on a history of, shared history of what went before. And now that can be done by a machine as well. So it's just bringing, I think it's like bringing into the foreground a paradox in IP uh, and intellectual property that was maybe less visible, but which I think everybody knew. Does this make sense to you what I'm saying? I think everybody 100%. knew. 100%. Yeah, well, I think that one of the big keys that you're getting at here that I hadn't thought of before is at the end of the day, what these artificial intelligence based products, these new technologies do is it completely resets this baseline of how much effort and innovation is needed in order to recreate the, the next Salvador Dali or the next Andy Warhol or sound like Eminem. You used to have to put in a ton of effort to get that type of a sound in terms yeah. of honing your craft, honing your skill, doing all these things where now all of a sudden leveraging AI, you can leverage these models that will help create this type of sound. And yeah. with Midjourney, for everyone listening, I'm not sure if they played around with Midjourney, but this is a program that allows you to generate unbelievably stunning images, things that you can't really begin to imagine that a computer created it until you've played around, especially yeah. when you look at the newest paid version, Midjourney 5. Yeah. And when you're looking at prompting, one of the things that makes this even more powerful is when you combine these technologies. I was, the other day, I'll give you an example. I was hanging out with my family and they were looking to purchase a new piece of art for a place in their house. Rather than going out and purchasing art, I said, let's create something. Let's bring your vision to life and create yeah, an original piece on the wall. And there are prompts that you can put into chat GPT that has it create and bring your vision for whatever you're trying to create in mid journey to life. So I just asked them, Hey, what do you want? They said, Oh, well, Andy Warhol, we love the way that his images look. And I said, okay, that's great. What type of image do you want? They came up with a Chanel bottle. And then we just gave all of this to chat GPT, not much information fed it into this prompt, asking ChatGPT to come up with the prompt to act as a stable diffusion model yeah. 
for generating text for Midjourney, the AI art generator. And it created the most detailed, incredible prompt all the way down to the type of camera and lens yeah. for Midjourney. And then Midjourney 5, the newest version of generative AR, shoots out this unbelievable creation. It looked like something that Andy Warhol would have created, completely original. And then we just put that into a uh, online, upload an image, they'll create a photo, uh, create a, just frame it and send it over. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And just like that, they got a new Andy Warhol type image, something that if he was alive, probably would have gone for millions of dollars or not yeah. if he was alive, if he had created it in real life, it would have gone for millions of dollars. But <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. Absolutely. I wanted to go one step further. You know, there's these uh, painting farms in China where, where people, where they paint. You, do you know about these places? I, I forget the name of it, but I think there's a couple of villages where humans uh, will paint you copies of great masters and Picassos and uh, uh, Van Gogh and whatever else. And so you send an order and you get back a physically painted by a person. So I wanted to make things on mid-journey and then have them sent to them to be painted, but original. So you end up with an original painting with real brush strokes. Wow. Yeah, you so, did. That's that's a very interesting idea. But that was that was three years ago I had that idea and it the AI wasn't good enough at the time, but it was it was you could already see where it was go going, but it wasn't good enough to do it. But now it would be more than good enough to do it. Now the question would be, would they ruin it? Because actually it it's gone to the point now where it looks like sensitive. Like you look at these mid journey pictures and they look like they have nuance. They, 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 they appear to have, they're, they're redolent with meaning. I mean, it's, it's, and, and, and incidentally, the same thing has happened with the waifu generators. You know, most of the attention of, of the kids working on stable diffusion goes into generating nude and semi-nude models, right? Are you aware of this? I was not aware now. So if you, there's a site called Civit, Civit.ai, Civit AI, Civit AI, Civit. Yeah, civit.ai, C-I-V-I-T.ai, apologies, N-S-F-W. Uh, but what kids are doing there is they're taking stable diffusion models, uh, checkpoints check usually based around 1.5, and training them on corpuses of uh, mod nude and semi-nude models and also anime to generate pictures of, of, of girls, women, anime style, realistic style, whatever. This is always the way, by the way. It's the same as with Bitcoin. The initial use of it was the Silk Road, right? And I think it's William Burroughs who said that uh, human technology is always, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, attracted to sexuality first. Um, and 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 these, so they generate these models for whatever purposes. But the interesting thing is recently these models, these these images have started to look like people. And I don't mean in the sense of like, oh, I couldn't tell this from a person. No, I mean that when you look at this girl's eyes, you see you see meaning there, you see something. I mean, this is absolutely terrifying because it suggests that once you get past a certain level of granularity, the human brain, mind starts to see something that isn't there, which is the same thing that's happening with GPT-4 that humans start to see a personality in, 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 a, in an LLM that is not there. 
but we see it and we react to it as such. Anyway, but let me say something about this. So let me say something about the bigger. So the bigger question is connected to what you did with your family, right? Is um, let's just imagine the cost of going to an artist in New York or wherever and saying, I want you to make a fake Andy Warhol uh, for my parents and frame it or whatever the cost of something like that. Um, even if you got lucky, I wouldn't think you could do it for less than five grand. Okay. So you could say it like this, the marginal cost of producing culture, imagery, sound, um, video, uh, is, has fallen. If not to zero, then to the cost it costs you to rent mid journey or to, to build a computer, to do stable diffusion near zero. And that has a profound impact on uh, filmmakers, soon filmmakers, uh, digital artists, artists, illustrators, musicians. God help you if you're an Ableton musician and so on. So, oh, only fans, girls, you're screwed big time. Sorry, because in about 30 seconds, you're going to be replaced by uh, digital avatar versions of yourself. So all of that is true. But there's something much bigger to observe here, which is the production of spectacle, whether it's, you know, everywhere, anywhere from Hollywood, right through to the triumph of the will, Nazi propaganda, is absolutely key to the maintenance of our political order. The whole thing, the whole shit show is held together by the production of spectacle, whether that's a newsman getting on to tell the news on CNN and looking like a million dollars, right? He's well lit, his suit is perfect, dust off the shoulder, hair's done, his sound is good, the music sounds like this, the lighting's like perfect. Why? To convey authority, right? To convey certainty, to convey the sense that this is the truth, this is the permitted way of seeing reality, okay? And that has a cost to it. And that cost is, is the price of determining reality. If you can pay the fee to set up that station, to broadcast to all those people, to have the guy or the woman looking like a million dollars, you get to set the narrative, okay? So now consider what it means if the price of doing that is falling towards zero, right? I can now sit down, put my camera on, and in about 30 seconds time, I'm gonna be able to put a newsreader um, uh, filter, essentially, over myself, which makes me look like one of these guys that does the suit, that does the what, and I can project the news. And so can everybody else, okay? Or let's consider another one, selling a perfume, since you mentioned Chanel. What, is it, what do you need to be able to sell Chanel? Well, you need an expensive photographer. You need um, a, a writer to write you snappy copy. Okay. You need some good music. Uh, you, need a, a, um, a, you need a good editor and so on and so on. And that produces a, a, a confluence of imagery and sound that creates a spectacle. And that spectacle says... Chanel has value. Chanel is 
high class or whatever it is, whatever you perceive, and cre creates a market for it. That is the other way the system is held together. That's the other way that we create desires that creates markets, right? That makes people want to buy this stuff that is essentially just an alcoholic liquid with some scent in it. Now anybody can make those images. So you've got two orders, right? I'm, I'll give you another one, the political order. So a politician, right? It's the same thing. Obama's a good-looking guy, gets up and delivers these speeches written by clever people, makes you feel, feel you like him and he, until you discover what he's, what he's made of, and so on and so on. So the huge thing that's happened, that I don't understand why no one's talking about it, because it is, it's, it's literally bigger than the printing press, is unleashing epistemic chaos in which anybody could create authoritative-looking spectacle and ship that spec at, at zero cost or next to zero cost, right? GPT to write, just like you did, GPT to write your script, mid-journey to make your images, whatever the new thing is to make your music and edit it together with some, you know, it, you can see what's coming real soon. You can't distinguish uh, a homespun a piece of media from something that costs $6 million to make. That's how the system is held together. That's how we define how we know, uh, how we distinguish between a high value piece of information and, and a low value piece of information. How do we know if a candidate, a political candidate is credible? And how do we know if, if a political candidate is like a shabby mess? Well, a lot of it's to do with spectacle. Right. And, 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 it, and this this reverberates through the whole system. And uh, and so and, and, and here's the interesting thing. We have no no clue what to do. Not only has no one identified this problem, as far as I can see, but there's there's no solution for it. There's no solution. This is how you've created political reality since World War Two. Ever since the broadcast system came in, this is how you do it. You get someone authoritative sounding on the radio and you tell them, listen, you swine, <laughs> this, this, is, this is what we're doing. We're all going marching or we're all going to stop using electricity or you, we're all going to do this and you will do it because we are, this is finished. It's like finished in about 45 seconds, it's finished. And we don't know how you obtain uh, political uh, legitimacy in any other way. We, we don't know any other way to do it. And we don't know how, and I'm not going to rant on and on about it. Let, let me ask you, do, does, do you understand what I'm saying? Does, is it clear what I'm saying? A hundred percent. And so I want to give a couple of examples from my own personal life that I think relate to this. So you mentioned the printing press, for example. Yeah. And printing press, very disruptive technology, internet, very disruptive technology. I think that you and I are in a small subset of people who truly believe that AI is far more disruptive than the internet. But taking a step back and looking at when I was in school, I would go and have to memorize these things that I could yeah. access in a second on the internet. And it just was so mind boggling to me. I would be looking at the way that the school system was set up and thinking, why can I not use a calculator? Why can yeah. I not use the internet? What is the point of me memorizing this if I can access it in a second? Now, right now in the school system, they've just had this unbelievable technology unleashed. ChatGPT, these resources that allow students to produce A-plus work 
for any level of education by just prompting the AI. And they're not allowed to use it for any of the work that they're doing. Yeah. Simultaneously, they've tried to create these human plagiarism detectors to try and stop students from being able to use this technology. To Exactly. They don't work. It's one of these interesting things where you can try and build around the system, but it's been unleashed it's into the, the wild. It's the same problem that I was describing with intellectual property in general, where actually, if you ask the question, what is it you were asking students to do in essays? And I know because one, in a previous life, I used to help postgrad students write their dissertations. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, the fact is it's formulaic. And the language you're using, you're learning how to speak, how to write in a certain form, in a certain formulaic way, how to construct sentences, paragraphs, arguments in a certain formulaic way. And then you add a little bit of originality on the end that gets you over the line. Now, of course, of course, an AI is going to be able to mimic that precisely because there's a huge corpus of formulaic essays such that when you say make me something that sounds like a sociologist essay it says yeah i know what the next word is for that in fact i know what the next million words is for that how long do you want me to go on for <laughs> and so and actually again i think I, I think the problem is again big i don't know i don't want to cut in but i think there's a, i think it points to a huge problem or a very interesting problem that's maybe equally profound um equally as profound as the uh as the as the as the um, what would you call it the disintermediation of spectacle or whatever you call it, um, and that is that we've naturally it's like you naturally assume you're talking to me, but whatever nonsense I'm coming out with is 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 the product or the property of my own of my brain. So you say here's this guy Jamie King, he's talking, he's saying a couple of things. Uh, these are thoughts that he's either had and is now rehearsing or is having live. And then you can judge various things. How interesting is this person? How interesting is this film likely to be? Is this Machine Greens worth watching? Is still this film worth watching? Is this a guy I should follow on Twitter and so on? But it's quite clear that I, I could have GPT-4 <laughs> in my ear right now telling me what to say and you wouldn't know. And okay, right now it would be difficult to, to talk <laughs> at some along. point in the future if you get chipped or something or you just get very good at listening to it or who knows how people evolve right yeah chipped would be my guess um so now uh, human intelligence is abstracted from humans in such a way that you can no longer guarantee okay maybe this isn't the next 45 seconds but it already is true for written work Anything you see on the internet, you can no longer guarantee that the person who made it is smart enough to, like, you couldn't guarantee that you should hire somebody, for example, who's written some good code on GitHub. Because all you know is that they're good at using GPT-4. Like, I can write code now. I'm an idiot. <laughs> I, I've written, like, three working, I've written three working apps more maybe four. I do it all the time now because I can just do it with GPT-4 and in a day I can solve a problem. You know, I have a browser extension I wrote. I don't know JavaScript at all. <laughs> I mean, you know, so are you going to hire me based on my browser extension? You better be fucking careful because I'm an idiot. I don't know anything. 
So now you've got this really weird problem. It's not just students writing essays or should we put them in a room, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, no, no. Intelligence has become abstracted from humans. <laughs> like, well, I think that's just another thing that we've got no concept of how to deal with that problem because I'm just used to talking to you and assuming naturally that William is saying what William thinks. Not that William is saying what GPT-4 has told him in order for him to sound three times smarter than he is or 10 times smarter. So where is this going? I don't, I just don't know, but it's extremely disruptive. One of the reasons why I personally feel that it's so difficult to make predictions on new technologies is just because there's so many other layers that you can't even begin to predict. Yeah. And, and to put this into a context of, an example for, I'll give you an example. Let's say that I come to you and I say, look, Jamie, I will give you a hundred billion dollars to start a company. The one caveat is that that hundred billion dollars can only go to human intellectual capital. It can only go to hiring people and their knowledge. You can't go and build and buy assets and things like that. If I give you a hundred billion dollars to, to build a company with that one caveat, you would look at me and say, you're amazing, Will. Thank you so much. I'm going to go and build a massive company. Now, with AI and chat GPT and the plugin, you can, I would argue, leverage a technology that's even more powerful than having $100 billion of human capital because you can instantaneously have answers. You don't have to deal with all the challenges that you would traditionally run into if you were working with $100 billion worth of paid employees. Totally true, but it, but but at the same time, you've got a there's a massive. So it's like, it's like that meme where there's the the IQ the IQ distribution, and uh, you know different levels realize it different different stages. And I think we're at the IQ we're at the level now where the moment now where people are saying, oh, it's really easy for me to write an app and let me ship that and make a product out of it. But it's quite clear that. This is what this is how I came to the idea that the web is going to disappear because it's it's quite clear already that stage one is nerds essentially like me who are not very good at programming writing apps to do things. Uh, it's great, it feels so empowering and so on. I'm sure that will continue. Stage two is nerds like me who previously had to spend, I don't know, let's say twenty thousand dollars to prove an idea can now do it. And then, then the next thing is they say, I'm going to ship that. I'm going to, great. I can now enter the market. And stage three is everybody is shipping apps. So we've already seen it, right? There's a VC on uh, GitHub who's written this auto GPT, I think it's called. And it's, he's a VC. So he's disintermediated the coders out and he's doing it himself. And stage four, so if stage three is like everybody's writing apps, everybody's shipping apps, it's not hard to see what stage four is. Stage four is there is no market for apps at all, right? Because if everybody's writing them, and at that point, you can see where OpenAI is going with introducing plugins. The plugins will be the apps, right? So it'll be you write an app to do the thing you want. I want to do certain exercise regime or I want it, you know, whatever your thing is, right? It writes the app for you. It ships it to you. And so that means there's no apps and certainly no app store, except the app store sort of moves in towards the AI. 
but definitely much less of a market for anything that and again, it's because it's all derivative. It's the same thing, right? Origi what was original enough to make a product? It's like, well, how original was it really? Because all the code was on GitHub. All the techniques were there. So, of course, the AI can say, oh, what you need is a bit of this and a bit of that. And let me error test that for seven rounds. And boom, here you go. And the, Go ahead. Oh, I just before I didn't want to lose this one idea because I think what you yeah, said is sorry. so important here, which is this app store moment that chat GPT has had where they enable extensions and the possibilities of trying to make predictions. Yet. Yeah. I haven't have been able, I haven't played around with it. I watched a AI YouTuber who was playing around with it or giving yeah. examples, but just to put this in context, I'll first give the context of these types of moments in the past. So let's say for example, with the internet, Imagine trying to build, if you were out there trying to build a company like Amazon, you cannot even begin to think about building this company unless you have the internet, unless you have this new technology. Yeah. You can't deliver a company like Amazon without a website, right? Yeah. Same thing with something like Apple, right? Apple first came out with the iPhone. And then once you have millions and millions and billions of people that have this hardware that have the iPhone, now you can roll out something like the App Store and allow yeah. all these other people to build tools on top of it. Now, when you think about the use cases of chat GPT allowing the plugins, all of a sudden you go for, from a world where today you can go ask any question and get unbelievable responses, things, superhuman level intelligent responses. That's incredible. But now you take that one step further and you integrate plugins. Well, let's say that you want to... You want to have it book a flight with these dates and you want to have it yeah. order food and create a meal plan and put it all in your cart. You could say, make me an entire meal plan for the next three weeks and focus on these types of pieces within nutrition. And then it will autofill and have yeah. it already in your cart and you can just click. All yeah. of a sudden, that whole activity of designing a meal plan, researching, putting everything in terms of the macronutrients, going out to the store, buying it, bringing it home. You can just ask one question, have it autofill in your cart. Yeah. click buy and have it shipped to you. And yeah. that is just one use case. Imagine all the other use cases, yeah, same yeah, thing yeah. with Expedia. And, and it changes everything. It changes the rhythm of everything because as soon as you, once you, if you imagine that a lot of people would like to do that, just the meal plan thing, then you can see that DoorDash's business changes completely because they'd be able to, you know, program a sequence of orders together, which is much better in my view, and go around and drop your meal, your weekly plan off right for just for example so it's like it, it changes everything and what what i think so what i realized about the web is it's the same thing like i realized so recently one of the things that's i mean i realized everybody knows this the the, the, the biggest affliction facing most of us i think is attention deficit disorder right is like um you know, unfortunately for me, following the Bitcoin price in 2017 uh, addicted me to my phone. I wasn't addicted to phones before that, but then I got addicted because of the, the, the dopamine was too too good. And uh, not that I've got any Bitcoin, but the dopamine was too good. And um, and so now I'm addicted. And so I'm trying to de-addict myself. And so one of these apps that I wrote that I'm writing, uh, follow, it takes lists of people I'm following on Twitter and makes um, goes and checks all the links they posted uh, in a given period, visits the links, summarizes the text down and makes me a digest 
So it's a digest of all the Bitcoiners and what they're talking about and all of the AI people and what they're talking about. So I don't have to go on Twitter, right? And it can format it how I want it and gives me, it, it summarizes the articles so that I can quickly look at. So, I, so, so I'm writing that. And then I would I use that. It, Once it's ready, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, for sure, join in the join in the fun because now it's like you're not a user, right? You're a developer. So, so, um, so I realized we need an extension. We need that for Reddit and for uh, you know Noster and everything else. And then I realized, that, no, 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 this is the same thing as with the apps. Like, it's quite obvious that you're going to have a user agent where you say, look, this is Will's preferences, right? I want to stay up on AI and uh, Bitcoin and mining and this and that and this. Here's my lists. Here's the places I visit. You you go out and summarize all that for me. And I this is how I want it formatted. I want it like on white on black and I want an EPUB for my Kindle and I want this and that and I want a podcast version to listen to and et cetera, et cetera. Like, why are you still looking at the web at that point? Yeah, like maybe like someone said to me, oh no, but I like browsing the web. I can get yeah, better you do, you addict. <laughs> but so if it could be, then you would just say, okay, I want like 10% crapshoot, right? I want 90% of my media to be based on these lists on Twitter and based on my behavior and things I've read and look at the things I'm spending time on, right? I'm gonna add this, but like anything I actually read, like wake that up and so on and so on. So you end up with a personal agent that's essentially going out, buying all the newspapers, reading them for you, removing the bias, right? Saying like, get rid of all the bias. Just give me the, I just give me the UFO news and take out all the stuff about UFO uh, people being conspiracy theorists. I don't want that part. I just want the news. You know, I just want the sighting news and then give it to me in this format. This destroys the web. And this is really like in the next five minutes as far as I can see, because even if you wanted 10% to be like, give me random 10%, that doesn't mean you have to be out on the internet fucking clicking. Clicking is done. What are you going to be following links search? Like that doesn't make any sense. And then I think the next phase is that what is the web now becomes just silos of data. So if like your company would just have a bunch of stories that it says uh, the structured data and it will go to Jamie's agent and say, Hey, I've, I've got something I think Jamie's going to be interested in. And the agent will say, well, look, these are the things I'm looking for. Uh, okay. This fits and that fits. So I'm going to take those off you. And if he spends longer than 30 seconds looking at it, I'm going to let you send me some more shit. But if he doesn't be aware, I'm going to wait you down next time. And then the next layer on top of that is your aid, your silo having a certain amount of cash and saying, listen, I'll pay you a lightning transaction, right? To get this stuff in front of Jamie. And then, so it's like, what is, what is the web now becomes this silo of data and a series of, of, of instantaneously negotiated contracts, which is really interesting because it's very close to how the pre-design for the web that was this thing called Xanadu do you know about this? This, no. this guy, Ted Nelson, had, a, had an, in, an initial idea for the web before Berners-Lee's web, and it was called Xanadu with an X. And his idea was each piece of information would have a monetary value attached to it. 
And I think we're going to have to go back in that direction because getting to me is going to become a lot harder. And the great thing about this is like, if you think about it, your agent, like if you're paranoid about your privacy, you'll be able to say to your agent, listen, I want you to switch browser profiles every five seconds. And I want you to change IPs every 10 seconds. And I want you to pretend that you came from a different operating system twice a day. You would never do these things. <laughs> Spin up a new machine, start a new Docker, make it, right? And, and so we are going to revert the user, the human is going to revert behind this wall that is your agent and the web, the whole idea of it, it's, I think it's finished. And I mean, I'm a huge fan of the web, but I can't see how it survives this phase. All these different designs, all these different colors, these crazy adverts, this newspapers almost designed so to make you not read them, you know, like seven different pop-ups. It's finished. Is this making sense to you? Yeah, it's, it's making complete sense. And you're blowing my mind in quite a few ways right now, but I'm completely following the train of thought. And it's interesting hearing you fully flush it out because when you first make a statement like the web is finished it seems yeah. like a completely preposterous statement mm -hmm. but understanding no. the technologies how things build and the layers eventually culminate in that type of a future i just think it's and, and by the way i think it's really important for people to uh, if anybody's interested in this topic um you know there are clearly these two tendencies right there's the training the ai behind a corporate firewall the corpo, if you've played Cyberpunk 2077, the corpo route, where you, you know, you're investing billions of dollars in uh, training, um, and then you own and operate the, the AI. And then there's this other route that's partially been enabled by the Facebook leak um, of uh, Llama, and it's become Alpaca and Dolly and all of this, that are public uh, AIs that I think, and I think our best route, our only safe route is to build our own publicly held intelligence, held in common as a commons, something we can all access and something that we can all, of course I am an old anarchist. However, I think that the other, the corpo route is exceedingly dangerous because what you want is your own AI or a, a fork of it that's, bred from this commons i mean they're all based on a, a commonwealth of ideas and language history and so on anyway and then which you fine-tune to your needs and that is i think a, could potentially be a very positive future for humans way better than what we have now that the other version you, you know the gpt four five six version i think is terrifying because ultimately, you already know that the, the, one, the one they've made is not for you, right? It's woke and whatnot. And that's not, it's not the question of like what it specifically says and what it specifically doesn't say. Can you get it to say that Donald Trump is a fascist or whatever? It doesn't matter. The, what matters is that um, you need to be able to trust this thing and you need to be in control of it. You need to know that it's it's going out to bat for you, and once you know that, I think it's a better situation than now because now we're overwhelmed, right? Right now, we're overwhelmed, and we need to get our attention. But I think it's a huge problem. We need to get our attention back. I'm going to flush out 
a very complex question that I've been thinking about quite a bit, and I don't know the answer to this. Yeah, go on. It's going to take some time. <laughs> Please fine, feel fine. free to interrupt me and say if this isn't making sense, because this is the first okay. time that I'm going to formulate it okay. verbally. Yeah. So when you look at the evolution of power, the evolution of governments, you've seen that the style of warfare, slavery, these types of things change over time. And I believe personally that they've changed in a big way in order to adapt the structures to the new technologies of the time. So what does this mean in practice? This means that today you're not going to go and conquer the world or control a government if your weapon of choice is swords and bone arrows. You okay. need to adapt to the new technologies and the people who the governments and the structures that are able to win in the long run are the ones that find a way to channel energy and channel power in a more efficient way. Yeah. Now, what we see today is we've seen the most powerful technology in AI that's ever been created, ever been created, unleashed into the world. Yeah. And we're at this unbelievably interesting stage in that timeline where almost no one knows about it or understands it. And even people who think that they understand it, they yeah, don't they really yeah. begin to scratch the surface in many ways. Yeah. A lot of people would listen to the discussion that we've been having right now, and they'd be able to follow it, especially if they're into tech and they've played around with these tools. But I don't think that people really comprehend how quickly technologies change. Even the biggest Bitcoiners early on couldn't have even begun to communicate what it looked like a decade from when it was released. Yeah. So the question that I have for you is one of two. So I'll start with question number one, and that is, how do you believe that the political structures, those organizations of today begin to adapt to this technology? And I don't want to bias your answer at all. So I'll pause there. Feel free yeah, to take some time to think yeah, about it is, and gather your yeah, thoughts. This is, this is, this is, so this is connected to what I was, what I was saying about the um, production of spectacle, what I call, what I'm calling spectacle. I'm not the first person to call it that. It's a traditional term from the left in uh, in the '60s. Um, but I think that the, the democratization of the production of spectacle, that the reduction of the, the marginal cost of producing imagery, um, is the next stage in a complete dismantling of political order which began the possibility of which began after the printing press so when you when the printing press arrives oh, let's not get into the detail of this but let's let's do the printing press and then blah, 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 lots of chaos which is kind of where we are now but once you have mass production once you have mass distribution you have the possibility uh, master distribution of information you have the possibility of getting a lot of people to basically think the same thing Right. And so one big part of that is printing press. So newspaper followed by radio, followed by TV, followed by movies, followed by TV. And everybody has had a go at it. Right. The left have used it. Right. Like Russian propaganda, leftist propaganda, the right, the Nazis, they had, they, that was, the radio was huge for the Nazis. Right. They even distributed their own radios. And they had a little thing on that little sign on there that said, 
don't turn the dial away from these frequencies. It's against the motherland or the fatherland or whatever they called it, right? It's because there's, there's, there's bad, bad stations on there. Um, <laughs> Ford Motors, Ford Motors, he was the biggest distributor of cinema in America and possibly in the history of cinema. He used to just used to make real cinema reels for free on his own dime and sent, give them to cinemas. Not many people know this to show before the films. And these cinema reels told American, the American working class how they should live and what they should do because Ford was basically a kind of fascist. And um, all of this depends on the broadcast system, right? Uh, I, I can go on and on and on with examples of how the broadcast system, and it's, it's manufacturing consent. It's the whole, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's the beginning of PR. The, the whole idea of engineering consent, Edward Bernays, all of this, a good component of it is having mastery of the broadcast system, being able to stand at the top, at the apex of this pyramid of broadcast and say, this is what, this is reality, right? But there's a missing piece to that. And the missing piece is you still had to be able, you still had to have the money, like I can say, to make the, to hire the good looking presenter, to dress them up, to write the great script, to have the music to go with it, the cinematographer to shoot, the editor to edit, all of that is the production of the spectacle. And that is now, so it's like peer-to-peer -peer in the internet changed the pyramid system of distribution. Now anybody can speak, anybody can be heard. And we've seen the chaos that's pouring out of that, right? It's like, yes, there's been all this capacity for creators and YouTubers and stuff that we didn't even see when Steal This Film started. It wasn't there. Yes, that's all possible. But we've also seen like QAnon and this crazy shit that like people exchanging ideas that don't make any sense or have very little um, of heuristic value. <laughs> um, and uh, so we've seen the peer-to-peer -peer mechanism, the peer-to-peer -peer distribution of information has already poured out all these huge changes, right? It's like you get Trump partly because people are talking amongst themselves. They don't care what the media is saying to them anymore. They're like, no, we're going to elect who we want, right? Based on Twitter or whatever. But now there's a new component, which is you can also create your own Trump. You can also make your own candidate, as it were. You can stand up. Like, just think of the OnlyFans thing. Let's just, just talk about OnlyFans, right? If you just imagine the power of taking, make a, make a, um, make a model based on six really good-looking women, merge it together, make a beautiful model, run a Twitter account for a year, lewd pictures, but also political commentary, right-wing political commentary, left-wing, libertarian, take your pick. I'll guarantee you that account is going to have 5 million followers within 18 months. That's how the spectacle works. Then you can now programmatically create 10,000 of those accounts, programmatically, and anyone that fails, you just ditch it, burn it, it failed because it fucked up, because she went too far to the right, she went too far to the left, but you've now got a thousand of these that survived, each with six million followers. That can give you a political win. Do you understand what I'm saying? You so, just blew my mind. That's crazy. That's how it works. That's how it works. That's the entire story of post-war order, right? 
and and so the question of how do we how does it everything changes now and and by the way since we're sort of here to talk about bitcoin in some way that this is where i think bitcoin this is what the film i'm making trust is about bitcoin's role inside this epistemic chaos so it's it's about the fact that if all of these coordinates for deciding what is real and what is not real what is a genuine story about reality what is a you know a real political candidate what is a real program what is the truth what is, if all of that is now um a ghastly mess <laughs> uh bitcoin gets this role this epistemic role where it said because bitcoin is the ultimate honey badger don't care right it's like it says no one btc equals one btc and it it tethers itself to physical objective reality by saying i will guarantee to you that x amount of electricity was expended to create this and whatever other chaos is going on you can grab onto that and that is like the establishment of what Troy Co- Troy Cross says in an interview I've done with him it is an archimedean point of certainty like a a basic uh, opinion a point around which you can start to think about so in terms of the solution i think Bitcoin establishes this potentially as things get more more chaotic because this goes to everything right if you if you think about how is the value of the US dollar maintained yeah yeah the petrodollar yeah yeah you know um uh, military bases all around the world yeah yeah people paying taxes in US dollars yes all of that but mainly it's about the right guy in the right suit standing up and looking correct which is why that meme of of Jay Powell desperately wrote, running the printing press is so powerful because uh, it undermines that image but it's about the spectacle it's about an authoritative spectacle and once that is gone which it's it's going to go because we don't trust politicians anymore we don't trust journalists we don't trust doctors we don't trust scientists we don't trust biologists we don't trust um climatologists we don't trust any of them so so why why are we still going to trust those people in those suits those gray-haired guys in those the answer is we're not and at that point we're going to start looking desperately for anything that has its own hermeneutic its own uh production of certainty and that's what bitcoin is like it's like you couldn't design something better to solve a problem which which i don't think even satoshi saw it coming in a way you could say the financial crisis is a subset of the epistemic crisis but i don't think anybody saw it that way but i'm telling you that in like very soon people are going to be looking for any any form of of value which is insulated from this knowledge chaos that's going to spread like which ai is only going to contribute to right and you can see it because you can see that the cost of spinning up a, a currency is already next to zero right and one of the things these little scammers have been missing is you know they have to work hard to get like celebrities to endorse it and well 
guess what? You won't need to pay a celebrity to endorse it anymore. You can synthesize them, right? So we're going to have like shit coins up the wazoo, sorry to say. But ultimately, people are going to focus on the thing that, that, you know, and Bitcoin is designed perfectly in the sense that it says, no, (laughs) one Bitcoin is the expenditure of a certain amount of energy based on a specific period in, in which... There's this many miners competing to do this for this, and this is the block reward. That's what it is. And it was always that way. And I can prove it right back to the beginning of the network. That becomes so valuable. You know, that's what I think. And so I think that's the, so that's the film. Is, the, is this the beginning of a new political order which has to base itself around new ways of establishing certainty? I'm going to have to check out that film. I, in preparation for this conversation, had the opportunity to check out other works of yours and your talent is unbelievable. I mean, I'm sure that every single person listening to this interview right now can just see the creativity and you sound like you're an incredible filmmaker, even if someone just didn't even know that you made films. Uh, So I highly recommend that every single person who's listening, go check out This Machine Greens and the other films you've created and definitely check out the new one when it's launched. Yeah. If thanks very much, I appreciate it. I mean, I'm in the middle of, I can't wait for it to come out. Like just hearing you talk about this, I need to, I need to watch this film. When when is, when do you think it's being launched? Oh man. I I, like we're in year two now and I've done five big interviews. So I've done a big interview with Troy Cross, who maybe you know, you were in mining, so you probably do. um, He's one of our advisors, actually. That's as mining. Super, yeah. Troy is brilliant, as you know, and a great guy. Um, And I did three days with him. We got him playing the piano, and it's it's nice. And then I've done a big interview with Martin Gurry, who is a CIA, ex-CIA operative. Um, And his really interesting story about so what i'm interested in is that (laughs) that he as a cia analyst in the 80s or 90s started to realize these changes we're talking about that people weren't necessarily the reality was no longer being determined by newspapers and radio and tv that blogging was becoming important and that people were talking together on blackberry or whatever it was and this was going to this peer-to-peer mode was going to change the political order and it's an interesting story of how he tried to tell his superiors and they just told him to fuck off (laughs) and get back in his box because it didn't suit them and so i mean and so he's got we've got a whole story from him and then we've got a bunch more stories to put together but the big i made a big change at somewhere um somewhere down the line and that big change is that I think we're going to bring in a few more. So I think we're going to connect it back to the BitTorrent story um, because I think it's super relevant. For example, formerly, I don't think Bitcoin would have been called Bitcoin without BitTorrent. I think that there is a connection there. I mean, I can't prove it, but I think there's a connection. Um, I think that Bitcoin is is the next realization, as I said at the start, of the peer-to-peer form that was put in, that was powerfully introduced or powerfully expressed in in BitTorrent. And um, and I'd like to talk about some other examples like Nostr of, because I think that the failure of Twitter 
is just so so interesting and has just been such a an obvious um example exemplar of the impossibility of running a top-down uh, media infrastructure it, it, it doesn't appear to be possible to run a top-down media infrastructure you know you there was a crisis at facebook there's a crisis at twitter and it doesn't seem to be possible uh, to fix it uh, and it seems to me that we're going to need something like nostr um, so i'm going to broaden it out slightly and i mean bitcoin is still the big uh, is still the, the lead but I think we need a few more examples. And by the way, those examples will not be shit coins. So for anyone <laughs> hearing this and wondering, is this guy talking about shit coins? The answer is no, no shit coins, no other coins. I don't think we're even going to mention, we may mention Ethereum, but only to point out how terrible its governance is and how important the fight, the, 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 the fight for Bitcoin's governance style was and is because it, you know, so have faith. There will be other examples, but there's not going to be like, um, you know, a whole a whole bunch of shit coins. Um, well, so I, yeah, have so a, I have a tremendous amount of respect for the way that you go about creating these films. The, the one common theme really just seems like you touch on these extremely, extremely complex topics, but you make them so digestible and they're important to humanity. I mean, when I first saw, uh, we got connected through Keegan, actually, who, who yeah. I've done a recording with and launched. And when he first sent me that video, that that, that documentary, I'm not sure what, what you prefer to call it, that film, This Machine Greens, it just so beautifully summed up so many of these extremely important, complex topics around Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining, energy, why this is important to human civilization, just all of these topics that any person that you try and communicate these ideas to, most likely they're going to not be able to follow what you're saying. They'll lose interest. They yeah. won't get all the way through the understanding and the learning curve to really come to the conclusions that are based in reality and in fact. And I think that the way that you approach these films and the topics you cover is just absolutely incredible. So well, I really appreciate I it. I would like I mean, to just, I, I know I've I, never told you that, but uh, it really I, I is inspiring it. to I, see. I will say, it's a, thanks very much. I will say it was, this Machine Greens was extremely hard work. And, um, and actually I lost two editors on the way, partly because I'm a, I'm a little bit of a, a perfectionist. And, um, and, uh, I think I'm okay to work with, but we just pushed it really, really hard. And, um, you know, it was tough and, but, um, I really enjoyed it. And, um, I, I had a, spe had a special place in my heart because, um, I've actually been interested in Bitcoin since I put it this way. I should be a lot richer than I am because <laughs> uh, I've been interested in Bitcoin pretty much since it first came out. And I mean, pretty much um for various reasons that you know early bitcoiners i think are brought together by a specific set of things that they tended to be interested in and some of it is anarchism some of it is like drug use um, <laughs> yeah there's a very high proportion of anarchists when you just look at the philosophy the um, earlier ones then they weren't necessarily libertarians either you know like i'm much closer to an american libertarian than i am to uh, you know, I'm not a woke 
uh, you know, type. I'm not like a Portland anarchist. I'm much closer to an American libertarian anarchist, which I believe, by the way, that the Italians, that the, the Italian, the European style is um, generally like that. Um, but uh, yeah, early Bitcoin, I, I um, was extremely interested in it. And um, I even used it in early businesses I had. I had a film distribution platform called Vodo that I ran for a number of years and I let artists take donations in, in Bitcoin, but we, we pay, they never wanted to receive the Bitcoin. They only wanted dollars. <laughs> so we always used to exchange the Bitcoin for dollars and give it to them. And years later, one or two of them came back and said, well, actually, I wanted the Bitcoin. I, yeah, I bet you did. What do you think I've been holding? The, <laughs> you think I've been holding the Bitcoin for you for all these years? Like, uh, you know, so but anyway, I was super interested in it. Um, I dropped the ball a couple of times um, in terms of, you know, forks in the road where I'm not bitter about it because this is how it goes with these things where I could have ended up holding a lot more Bitcoin. Um, uh, one of them would have, yeah, one of them was that I, I when I was distributing films using BitTorrent, uh, we had this issue that we were frequently getting the most torrented films on the internet. So we would beat like True Blood. I don't know if you remember that series, the HBO series. Our torrents would frequently beat HBO's torrents. So we had like millions of downloads, but people weren't donating. It was before Kickstarter, way before Patreon, and uh, people that hadn't got the idea yet of donating, like value for value type stuff. Um, so I said to my team, you know what we should do? We should put a Bitcoin miner in with the torrent and, and just say to people, listen, if you don't want to donate, just run this Bitcoin miner for a bit. And it was pointed at our account. And... Uh, <laughs> The only reason we didn't ship it was because it spanned, we wrote it, spanned the fans up on the laptop to, you know, back then you could sort of, you know, a laptop would become extremely uncomfortable. And we just didn't have the nuance to work, to say, okay, let's mine less aggressively. So we didn't ship it. And my, my, by my calculations, you know, would have been a lot of Bitcoin would have been mined. This was when you could mine on a CPU. Um, so these are forks in the road that we reach, you know, but the, you, it's all with the benefit of hindsight because at the time it was like a neat idea, but you'd have to have made the Bitcoin and held it and held it through every, you know, this is what people forget, right? It's, anyway, so when it came to this machine greens, you know, I realized like this is something I've been interested in and into for a long time. Uh, and I just have never really said anything about it. I've never said anything publicly about it. I said a lot about BitTorrent, but nothing about Bitcoin. So this was my first contribution, really, uh, to the to the thing. To the and I so I didn't want to say stuff that other people had said, and I didn't want to get in the. I didn't want to be in like a shit fight. I didn't want to be in like a, you know, the New York Times lies and. Oh yeah, uh, that recent you know, hit piece bo yeah, boils my want, blood. <laughs> your Teslas burn more than my miner and whatever. I, I can. I, I by the way, I agree with all of that. I think I like all of it, but I didn't want to say that stuff. So I wanted to tell a story that really took the high road. So that's why we went in with like, you know, the um, you know, energy is en energy use is correlated with human flourishing. Mm -hmm. and Kardashev civilizations and we've got to make we've got to burn more and bitcoin in its nature 
doesn't just ask for more energy, it asks for more efficient energy. It asks you as a miner to find the, the best source. It asks you to innovate and go out there and find energy that no one else has managed to extract. And, to, and so it should impel us to create ultimately, it should impel us to get to zero margin energy. And that's what we need. Coincidentally, <laughs> that's what we need. So it's like, you know, it should be like solar panels in space, right? I want to see rigs in space. That was what my thing was, you know, get, if Elon Musk could only see the light, isn't he basically in the position to put solar mining rigs in space? Like he, he's got the satellites, you know, he's got computers <laughs> up there. All they need to do is unfold a couple of sails, the solar sails, and they'd have like uh, endless free energy up there or nuclear or you know, I could see a future where it's like Bitcoin miners are paying for, uh, you know, a cold fusion research, right? That, that you know, it make it all makes. So this is the story I wanted to tell. Is like, no, this connects us to the higher order of human civilization, and so that's what I tried to do in terms of making it simple. Well, that's just partly because, you know, I'm not a specialist, so I'm not. I need I need to be able to understand it. So the first stage is I have to, to bring it down to my level <laughs> and then, uh, you know, and there's another thing, there's another discipline that's, that's, in, that's um, uh, created by making film, which is you can write stuff down, but then when you try reading it out, you just sound like a, you sound like a, <laughs> so there's, there's a real um, discipline created by doing voiceovers that you you have to be able to live with what's being said you have to it has to sound like a person talking to you and um you know not somebody who's trying to say i'm really clever essentially it has to be somebody who's saying look this is this is um this is how you're gonna this is this is, this is a piece of media designed to help you understand um why this is important and that's how i try to do it so i try to do everything with that in mind because um, that's what excites me. What excites me is these big drifts. Like, I, I think my next film is going to be about AI, by the way, in case. I feel like it'll be a very interesting film. <laughs> um, so anyway, I appreciate it. It was a lot of work. It was my first big contribution to Bitcoin after a long, well, big contribution, whatever, little contribution to Bitcoin after a long period of being interested. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we tried to take the high road. So I'm hoping it would be something people can refer to for a while. And as this conversation appears to be continuing on and on and on, right? About Bitcoin's energy use. One burning question that I've been holding back for the conversation, because I wanted to touch on everything we've touched on is with the evolution in AI, it's clear that you're on top of what's going on. You're on top of the tools. How yeah. are you integrating this into your process yeah. for creating yeah. films? Because yeah, it's another reason it can be, why. I, yeah, yeah, it's it's really this is a really. I I, I was almost going to start a Discord for creators who are using uh, using AI in their work, um, because it's just such a weird moment to be alive as a creator. Because like. Um, you know, you've got all these tools and if you're like me and you're on slightly on the edge, I'm not on the farthest, furthest edge, but I am like, I did build a computer. So here it is. I just <laughs> built that. 
and that's for running stable diffusion locally. And I do use my own, you know, I stay up to date with the latest techniques and I install them myself. So it's not just mid journey is what I'm saying, right? It's like I am sort of, so you're aware of these things that you can do. And, um, and so then there's a question of like, to what extent should you use these things? But then you realize like we're deep in the, like I got a two-year-old now, so I'm reading, I'm, I'm watching like old cartoons. And if you go and watch the original Toy Story uh, or the original Shrek, they look terrible. And th it's really dated because, and you know, when those came out, they, look, they looked fantastic. And, and you realize, so as a creator, you're like, oh shit, like I want to use these things, but isn't this just going to look like garbage, like hot garbage? You know, if you look at, even look at the first mid journey, in, um, the first mid journey uh, images, you know, that they, they look terrible now. Awful. And they, 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 they sort of did look terrible at the time, but they were interesting, right? That was, that was the thing, right? Um, but I do think, so, so here's one way I'm doing it. So I am using mid journey. And um, and at the moment, I've opted for the safest possible. Uh, uh, so, so as an example, I use MidJourney to make um, a still image. For example, talking about epistemic chaos, there's a section of like the the, the Capitol Hill riots, the, the you know the so-called insurrection, uh, and what I've done is created these painterly scenes of the inside of Capitol Hill with the protesters running through and waving flags and doing, you know, talking to the police, the police standing around and so on. And they look like paintings. And with V5, they really do just look like, like paintings. And then what I, and then what exists now is you can take, um, there's a bunch of code, which takes stable, to, which takes image flat images and it, it analyzes it for depth. And then it turns the flat image into a depth uh, matrix. So it bends it such that you can then move a camera through it or around it uh, to create, you know, the parallax effect, right? That you see where if you move across a scene and um, the background is further away than the foreground that you get this one seems to be moving faster than the other. And this gives a sense of depth and you can do that with a flat image right by just separating layers and staging them well this is the same as that but it's it's automatic so you can take a still image and suddenly you can move around it or pan into it and get a sense of 3d and that i think um i'm like 95 percent sure we're going to use that in, instead of uh archive footage and the interesting thing so i think that's safe in terms of i don't think it's going to date i think it'll look like a painting just like your Warhol thing is going to look like a Warhol thing. Even if mid journey gets better, your thing will still look good. So I think there's that and where it might be, where it's interesting, I think politically or um, in terms of business or however you want to put it is as a filmmaker, those are images you would have had to have paid for and you maybe couldn't pay for them all. So, and now it's interesting because I'm able to direct the images I want to get. I'm able to animate them enough that they kind of come to life a bit and they're mine, or at least they're not, 
yours. <laughs> At least they're not owned by CNN or something. They're something I can use in the film for free. Um, so although at the moment it takes me quite a long time to, I'm, at the moment I'm just researching like how to do these things because they're all new and it's absolutely fascinating because like I can talk to the guys on the GitHub and say like how does this work when are we going to get this or can I can I pay you a bit for you to do it this way and so we're sort of you know really on the edge and the question the big question becomes so like I think that's safe creatively I think that can be done but there are bigger things coming on the horizon that are going to change what film is. And so, you know, for example, um, you could already take this interview, take both of uh, our, us, uh, tell and tell Stable Diffusion, I want these two to look like robots. And it will frame by frame paint over each frame and you'll end up with two robots talking. Now, if you think about but at the moment, we're like, I don't know, 70% there, maybe. Like, I'm sure you've seen it where the edges are like m m a bit spastic and moving really quickly. And the reason for this is that each time the AI is deciding how to draw a frame, it's making slightly different decisions. So it's there are ways of controlling it and keeping it within a, some boundaries, but it's still like you've seen it, right? This characteristic flickering. Um, and but we're getting very close to eliminating that. And if you think about what that means, it means, for example, I, I may want to do, I think I will do this at some point, but I'd like to make a feature film which is entirely composed of other people's scenes from other films, but where I repaint. <laughs> so like, say you've got two guys talking in a cafe in a Tarantino film. And now what you do is you map your own characters on top of Tarantino's actors. So it's his shot, it, but now it's your characters and you can change the style as well. So you could change the lighting. And, I mean, not exactly now, but really soon you'll be able to use the history of film, not by copying, which filmmakers have always done, gone out and copied each other's shots right? Like 2001 copies this Russian film, you know, there are both remakes and just straight rip-offs. Directors have always done that. Well, now you'll be able to say like, let me literally make a film by taking all the shots from the different films, uh, remapping my characters onto them, changing their faces, changing their dress, and then altering the mouth movements. So they say my script, I, I think we're like so close to it. And, and, and I, two things interest me about it. One is the creative possibilities of it, that it completely changes what you think film is. Um, and second, that it'll just, it'll just enrage people. <laughs> I, just, I think it all goes back to this idea that what we think is creativity, right? That like this idea of originality in film or anything else actually is underpinned by the history of the cultural of of the culture which everybody is drawing from right even the most arch pick the most libertarian arch individualist capitalist like breedlove even he or whoever is constantly reading from the history the shared commonwealth of ideas which is extremely anarchist and communalist Right. And it, it's this weird paradox about individuality and culture. And so what I think is fascinating is like 
yeah, very soon remix culture is coming to film. And what happened to music when you could sample and incorporate sampling into music is going to happen to film. And uh, and that, that I would, I mean, insofar as it's possible to be the first, <laughs> that would be good, uh, you know. You could probably dine out on that for a long time, but I also think it's like just exciting creatively, and so I'd like to try it. So, does that give you some answers? <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. Actually, hearing you talk through it, I feel like at some point we're going to have to do some type of conversation where we just lay out. Because, so for example, I on my end have just been looking at this landscape, just constantly being blown away, and it only takes so many times with having your mind blown that yeah. you start to think, hey, maybe you should spend a little bit more time looking into these tools and understanding it. So part yeah. of my day every single day is myself asking that question that I asked you in terms of what tools are out there, where are they at today, and how good are they going to get? And yeah. some of the tools that you mentioned, there's some others that I, it's the question of, you know, for the film side, which of these tools are going to be applicable to creating content, creating good film, yeah. and uh, it was very interesting hearing your perspective on this, but I do think that if you do end up creating that group where creators can share and talk about different tools, it's a great place to uh, learn. Yeah, because we have slightly different needs. Like, if, you know, because for just for example, if you're making content like this film I'm making is, you know, we're going to try and sell it to Netflix or somewhat someone similar. So it needs to be in 4K. So you're not talking about generating a 1080p image. You've already got to ask the question, how can I make this look good enough to be on TV? And that mm. is already like, you, because, you know, it's like, uh, whatever, what is it? Um, ML2 or whatever it is, or um, what is the, the runway? You, yeah. Runway, runway, ML, the, the, uh, runway, yeah. the latest video, you know, it's, it's nowhere near. So every time I mention I'm working with AI or the people always send me runway. <laughs> I mean, have you looked at it? Like, it, you know, it's, it's yeah, no I talked with near. someone from their team, actually, just to figure out where they're at and then how long things are going to take to get better. Because I was oh, yeah. just so curious, thinking these things are incredible, but when will they get to certain levels? Yeah. And what did he say? Uh, well, in regards to I was looking at the one where you can take an image, for example, and yeah. you can automatically turn it into an animation. And yeah. um, so this conversation was about a month ago, and it was, I believe, right as around the time that they were going to be launching that feature. But I haven't played around with it since. But he yeah, was yeah, just yeah. telling me about features that were coming, but he didn't give exact timelines or anything. I mean, that's why I think that the 2.5D, the parallax stuff is low hanging fruit, because it doesn't look shonky. It looks solid, you know, and and. Uh, because because here's another thing I think it's really interesting. So I started out using um, stable uh, mid journey and now you can make these photographic images, right? So you can do like riot scene outside Capitol Hill, blah, blah, blah. Award winning photographer, 35 millimeter, blah, blah, blah. Stormy day, dramatic, et cetera, et cetera. Go wild on your prompting. But what you then get is a photographic image with weirdness. So one column is a little bit too thick. One guy's got six fingers. Take your pick. One guy's got an, an extra lump of arm or something, right? <laughs> and you. And so the obvious thing is you think as a filmmaker is, you know, 
what am I saying to the viewer here? I'm saying, this is a photographic image. You could trust this. You can't. And then at the same time, these it's got two people who are slightly mutated. The columns are too thick and the, the, actually the Capitol Hill bin, building isn't there. And it's actually over here in reality. And I think what you're saying to the viewer is then extremely complex and not necessarily very legible. And many people could say this is dishonest. And that these are things I think, especially in a film called Trust, <laughs> that you, yeah, you don't necessarily want. And so I concluded that um, the painting, you know, making it look like a painting um, is neat because people then, you know, you're then not saying it's real. You're saying this is an impression. It's more dramatic without lying about what actually happened. Um, people are much more forgiving about weird elements. It's a painting, it's an impressionistic painting and so on. So I think, you know, right now you have to make decisions that fall into line with what what is possible, you know, which is why I've gone for this. But like I say, I think, um, I mean, here's one example. So uh, during the film we did in Pacific Bitcoin, we filmed with a bunch of people and um, the B cam, uh, was set to 12 frames a second instead of 24 and that is totally unusable so when i came to all of the b cam so you had the straight on shot like this but the, the side shot the three quarters was nuked and i used ai um created by a, a guy the front end for which was created by a guy in germany to interpolate all the missing frames and it looks perfect in 4K. Okay, it took it took 10 days running on my lap on my laptop though, not on this beast here. On the laptop, it's perfect. You you could not tell that that 50% of the frames are um, created by a computer based on what it guessed might have happened in that 0.01 seconds or whatever. So there are things you can do right now, which I can't imagine how much it would have cost us if I'd taken that to a post-production house and said in, in LA and said, can you fix this? You're talking 50K, I mean, maybe. Yeah. You know, basically I fixed it. I, th I think I paid the guy two, 200 bucks for his work, basically just showing me how to use his software his software and then I, I supported his patreon for a year wow 120 bucks yep fixed it so there are so there are examples of things you can do that are like a hundred percent solid and then there's this edge stuff right and the the edge stuff i think is the most interesting because like you know for example i think it's going to be totally possible for you to for example shoot an interview with me like this low quality over riverside whatever using my uh camera um and say, you know, make this look like a Kubrick shot. I don't think that's that far away. So like, you know, redraw, redraw each image, redraw each frame, sort the lighting out, make a dramatic background. It, it's not a filter, you know, it, it'll be something more, a lot more than that, or make it look like a Wes Anderson, right? Anybody who's got a clear style, I think it'll these these AIs. I'm be, I would be amazed if someone isn't already training AIs on directorial styles and cinematography, so that you can say you know um, clean this up, 
put a put a film look on it that it obviously is coming really soon um and so you know i just think those things are going to move from the periphery which is where they are now like not usable for me right now and i think they're going to move into the center and the terrifying thing is the weird thing is you're you have to carry on making films knowing that these things are coming and you can't use them and by the time you finish them like i've done all this stuff on mid journey and all this 2.5 d stuff because it's safe and by the time i finish the film there's going to be new stuff that i can do that i won't it'll be too late because the film's that's that's, yeah and that's going to be our future because we've we've moved into this new phase of i think by the way that we are at the beginning of the first we're in the first stages of the singularity i, agree, I can't yeah. believe i'm hearing myself say this after years of thinking the singularity was only something that's 60 plus year old guys were interested in now i find myself thinking maybe it's because i'm getting old but i find myself <laughs> thinking um this is it this is the, because everything's just moving so quickly and you know that it's because AIs are going to, uh, uh, like, I will eat my hat if, if um, OpenAI hasn't got something of a GPT-5 level working on training itself, right? Because you can't convince me that OpenAI let Facebook leak, what was it, um, Alpaca, and, or was it Llama? Llama. Late Facebook leak Llama leaked it via a torrent that was available. And and then they trained that, they fine-tuned it using GPT 3.5 to get it to the point where it's at now, much, much better than it was. You're telling me that they left that in the wild for other people to discover when it's the most obvious thing? Like what happens if we let one of these things train the other? This is the first thought you would have. The minute you've got one of them, you'd be like, oh, let's, let's run it twice and let let them train each other so it's like we've we, the reason it's going to be moving quickly is because everybody's going to have these things working on the problem of how to improve these things and that's the singularity that's it's it. it's unbelievable how quickly these models are getting better just looking at the difference between three to 3.5 and then 3.5 to four yeah four is unbelievable I just, yeah. whenever I interact with GPT-4, I just cannot believe that I'm using this tool. I just can't yeah. believe that I have the ability to leverage this tool. It's just yeah. unbelievable. And yeah. the fact that I that's remember I started wild, with two. I started with two and two, because two was out, two was available, something you could run on your own machine or you could run it as a collab. And um, I wanted to make, uh, I had a few ideas what I wanted to do with two. One of them was a woke bot. I probably shouldn't say this, but I didn't release it. But what I did was I trained it on like woke philosophy. (laughs) (laughs) GPT. GPT Because I thought it's already a word salad in the first place. It's already word salad. It's not trying to be, it's not trying to be intelligible. It's, it's, it's a strategy for shutting down your mind, right? It's Mm -hmm. not a strategy for opening up. So it's already like, unintelligible garbage so i took like 20 of these texts and fed it to gpt2 and it was kind of like i was like i'm going to release this shit on on kindle and i'm going to generate i think it was around the time of the this is not a person do you remember that website where you could reload and it would show show you a different ai generated face and we were bugging out because it looked like a real 
real person. So I was going to use fake people, fake names and woke text. But the GPT-2 was like florid. It was weird. You know, it it was it was strange and it was just slightly too strange. And I concluded that the amount of effort needed to take the garbage that it was spitting out and turn it into something that a human reasonably construe as real was not worth especially not for an art project or whatever you call that. Um, so, but yeah. And then GPT three was like, holy shit, this is, this thing makes sense. <laughs> and then four is at some new level. Like I've had to rewrite a piece of code that I've written to summarize transcripts because um, I've written this code, which just, this is an example of how things have changed, right? I wrote a Python script, which sends chunks of transcript interview transcripts to OpenAI and summarizes them so I can have an index because I do these interviews that are like three days long, like 12 hours. And so, you know, you need an index. Um, and I've had to rewrite it because GPT 3.5 Turbo is so much better than three, you know, um, and cheaper. And so, uh, you know, you're constantly, uh, yeah, we're like constantly being projected into this future. And um, yeah, I, I do. I think it's the beginning of the singularity and, I'm, and, I, and I've got a couple of things I want to write about it where I'm in two minds because I could leave it to put in the film and then it'll be like, but by then someone else is going to have said it. <laughs> so I figure I should write an essay about the spectacle thing, you know, um, because it's huge. Uh yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't, what are you thinking about doing with it? Have you got ideas what you want to do? Or are you, yeah, I, so there are quite a few tools. Some of them you might already know, but looking at, so I'll give an example of one tool, for example. So when you look at YouTube as a platform or any of these social media companies, they're trying to find ways to keep people using the platform. And you've seen the explosion of TikTok and then other companies like YouTube, Instagram, putting yeah. Reels, TikTok, or YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah doing shorts and just creating that content. If you have a podcast, for example, there's a lot of sections that if you could clip it down, hire someone, have them edit it, you could create things like shorts. Now, this yeah. is something that for, I just, this interview is going to go out on a new channel. I'm starting a new channel where you can talk, talk about other topics that aren't just Bitcoin or crypto related. Yeah. We dove into AI in this conversation. Mostly but AI. Mostly AI, yeah. You can tell that I'm just super fascinated by this stuff. So I'm, yeah, I was too. so pleasantly surprised once the conversation started. I said, we got to go down this rabbit hole. We only got so <laughs> much time. But there's this tool that you might have heard of called Munch. It's No, I haven't heard of it. It's a very interesting tool that you can just upload a conversation, a podcast. You could even put mm -hmm. in the URL for this podcast, for example, when it comes out. And mm -hmm. then take it it'll automatically generate a ton of different shorts with tags descriptions everything based off of that video the first huh. draft is by no means a finished copy but right. what you can do from there is you can all of a sudden have a great working first draft that has descriptions tags everything as a Got baseline it. that you can hand to an editor or do yourself to go and put out shorts of the content and so this Got is it. something that i want to do or any single person who's out there listening if they want to take this content or any of our other podcast episodes, and then they could turn a business out of it where they just put an affiliate link to SAS Mining's product. And then every single mining rig that's sold, say you're getting $50 commission and you run these types of ads, 
you can get a fully fu functional business out of it. But that's just from a social side, social growth side. There are other things like thumbnails, for example. Midjourney can be great to helping with thumbnails. Yeah. There's another tool. I'm forgetting the name off the top of my head, but you can upload an image to it and then it will help reverse engineer a prompt from that image. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You can do that in Midjourney now. Oh really? Um, I didn't yeah, realize yeah. that. You can tell it to you can tell it to describe. And uh, and I, I did that actually, and it, it helped with my painting creation because uh, uh, when I fed it the things that it had generated that I liked, it actually added a couple of extra artist names uh, to it that I you know things that I hadn't had in the prompt, so I added those in, and it, I think it's about helping to narrow it down. What actually I'm going to do is when I've gen I'm going to get it narrowed down to the point where it's generating images that I like consistently and then i'm going to use those as a training corpus and fine tune my own mid journey so i've got a hundred images that all look like look this is kind of the style i want then i feed that to mid journey then i've got something that makes should nail it down to what i want um but it's absolutely fascinating i mean you know it's not just that you can you know use mid journey to generate the the initial image then I bring it into stable diffusion and you can paint out, you know, you can mask out bits you don't want and just tell, tell stable diffusion. Okay. Take a, take a shot at filling in an in painting, they call it the blanks and it will, and gradually you can change details. Like I took a, took one guy who was a policeman and changed him into a protester. Take <laughs> one person who's, you know, one person who's got a helmet, turn it into a cap, a MAGA cap or whatever. And so you're gradually painting this thing yourself. It's like certainly possible to go a long way beyond just accepting what the system gives you, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think, I don't know, man, it's like, uh, there's going to be some great new, like I was talking to my, it's interesting. I was talking to my cinematographer about it. And when I first showed him about it half a year ago, look, I'm thinking about using some mid journey stuff. And he was like, ah, oh, it doesn't, you know, it just looks weird and so on. And then literally five days ago, I showed him some of these new uh, animations and he was like, this is mind blowing. <laughs> so it's like five months we've gone from something that, you know, look, dude, you're out there. This is not, you know, to this looks fantastic. And I want to use it in my, I want to use it in my stuff. So, you know, that like filmmakers are going to be, they're going to be all over this. Um, even if you look at it from the business development side, a lot of these tools that just help you run a more efficient business, one that kind of blends the two of generative AI and a business use cases, you can leverage custom avatars that can be part of your onboarding process. And yeah. normally you'd have to take a lot of time to train people on your processes, get them fully up to speed. And then if there's new training or new different onboarding processes or things that you want people to be able to learn AI skills, you would have to create new content, have someone film it, a whole long process. Now you can, the avatars obviously aren't perfect. They're going to get better, but you can have an onboarding AI avatar that could just read whatever it is that you want. So you can script it. And then if your processes change, if there's something new that you have to do, you can just change the text in a document. And then all of a sudden you just updated the video. You don't have to go reshoot. You don't have to do all these other things. And this is just one of many different productivity hacks. So that's it's one of the reasons why I'm just trying to 
take the business mind and try and and understanding how companies are built and the different layers and figure out, okay, where are these tools out today? Where are they going to go? And how can we incorporate them into the organization to make the organization more efficient? You could even think of this from an outreach perspective. Let's say that you want to go and have higher conversion rates on outreach. It would take a long time if I had to record personalized messages or videos to every single person that we're trying to reach out to. But if you can leverage this technology to make it so it seems like I'm saying someone's name and it seems like personalized video for every single person that you're sending it to, all of a sudden the game's changed from a personalization outreach perspective. So there are just so many ways that those technologies aren't good enough quite yet to be at a level of, okay, it's as good as the real thing, but it's on the horizon. It's not too far. And there are so many other use cases. And it was fascinating. Some of the things you mentioned here on this podcast, I hadn't thought of from a film perspective, but could certainly help there. Uh, film is the, you know, and these, this is the things we're talking about. It's like, yeah, it's the least important because I, I, I just think the big thing is, um, I mean, yeah, the automation question does go in other, does go in and the, the, the directions you're pointing in, that does have a profound ramification as well. And I'm sure, I know, for example, that Sam, uh, what's his name? Sam Altman um, is doing a, a, a universal basic income trial in Oakland. I didn't hear about this. Do- I tried to ask him to make, if I could make a film about it. This was about seven years ago. When I first realized, I don't remember what happened, but something made me realize that this AI thing was going to be, was going to change everything. And I reached out to him. Um, that was when he was still, it was still Elon Musk's project, OpenAI with him. And I asked him if I could do a film about this universal basic income thing, because it's connected. Cause I think that the logic is of course, what will ordinary people be doing? What will we be doing? I mean, okay, let's say you and I are not ordinary. Let's just let's just imagine that. It's a question of degree, though. Um, you know, where are we going to get our money from? And I know that the logic is always that, I know the idea is always each advance of capitalism opens new markets. And it's true. I mean, of course, there can be, you know, if everyone's prosperous, then you get like the San Francisco nail salon and the, um, you know, rejuvenation clinics and the uh, massage parlors and the expensive restaurants. And so those are ways to redistribute money. I, I, I agree with that. But there is something new about this, you know, this loom, this, you know, this jacquard loom is has the ability to adapt itself and, 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 and become anything you want it to be. And at that point, you know, I, I find it very hard to believe that we're going to be taking um, McDonald's orders from human beings or that there's going to be human beings delivering Deliveroo um, or that human beings are going to be personal assistants or content create or marketing content creators or standard video editors. You know, I, I just can't see how humans are going to adapt to the so that so it does leave the question of like what the flip side of what you're saying is what's going to be left for people who don't have capital this is a question that i've also been thinking through and i have a completely open mind it could be changed on on this topic 
But when you look at the past, for example, whenever you've seen these innovations in technology, we've seen it where the structures around the technology shift. So it used to be a lot of people who are on farms. And then once we had equipment that could do all that, they just went and found other ways to spend their time. But with this particular innovation with AI, it's a very, very different one. In the past, the average IQ that you needed with these techno technological innovations actually did get hired. You need, in order to have a sustainable job in society, you needed a higher level of IQ to be able to continue to participate as the technologies got better. But this new technology is so big and so disruptive that what happens if the IQ, instead of just jumping by a little bit, only the very, very smartest in society, the high it IQ. Is the, yeah. It is the IQ. I mean, that's, that's the weird thing is not that your IQ would have to get bigger, but that it is the IQ. It, it is, it, it's already smarter in one or two ways, maybe three or five ways than humans will ever be. It knows more. Right. It can and it can. And there are ways in which, you know, there are ways in which it's already creatively smarter because it can it can draw it can draw uh, inferences and similarities between massively disparate uh, domain, knowledge domains that, that no human alive can, can, can do that. And um, that is the essence of creativity and genius, I would say one one of one of them. Um, and, and the weirdness is not that we are maybe only the brightest will adapt because it's like, yeah, do you know this, there's this passage in Karl Marx, Marx says um, this, this quote um, is from economic and philosophic manuscripts, 1844, he says, that which is for me through the medium of money, that which I, for that, that for which I can pay i.e. which money can buy, that am I myself, the possessor of the money. The extent of the power of money is the extent of my power. Money's properties are mine, the possessor's properties and essential powers. Thus, what I am capable, what I am and I am capable of is by no means determined by my individuality. I am ugly, but I can buy for myself the most beautiful of women. Therefore, I am not ugly, for the effect of ugliness, deterrent power, is nullified by money. I, according to my individual characteristics, am lame, but money furnishes me with 24 feet. Therefore, I am not lame. I am bad, dishonest, unscrupulous, stupid, but money is honoured, and hence its possessor. Money is the supreme good, therefore its possessor is good. Money, besides, saves me the trouble of being dishonest. I am therefore presumed honest. I am brainless, but money is the real brain of all things, and how then should its possessor be brainless? Besides, he can buy clever people for himself, and is he who has power over the clever not more clever than the clever? Do not I, who thanks to money, am capable of all that the human heart longs for, possess all human capacities? Does not my money, therefore, transform all my incapacities into their contrary, and so on and so on? He's a great writer, Marx, right? And funny, often often very confusing and long-winded, but also sometimes funny. But it occurs to me that AI is the new extension of this. You know, I have AI, therefore I am clever. I have wow. and and actually it reverts you to to this this to this quite I think the really important thing is going to be who has capital. In other words, Bitcoin. Because that's going to be the only differentiator. 
because any you know it's not going to be how clever you are it's going to be can you lay your hands on the fastest machine the fastest thinking machine right and that's that's going to be doing the quantitative trading the analysis the business strategy you know and I, yeah, the, the transformation is so profound you know i am stupid but money makes me clever i am ugly but money makes because that's what it's going to be you know wow can i not can i not buy myself the smartest man well you don't even, you don't need a man anymore you need a you need a machine yeah so yeah I, you know i i you know that's yeah i mean i like you say it's impossible i don't think it's possible to think out the long term consequences but there is no coincidence that sam like sam altman who's a very odd character right like he's not a compelling like he's a strange character when you see him speaking but he does look like a man who's looked into the void you know that they say you know be careful if you gaze into the abyss because the abyss gazes into you like that's the quality that he has i think is and i don't think it's any coincidence that he's funding the ubi him both him and elon musk have some type of quality about them in that type of a way where it's almost like they're robots where they've like the first users of the Neuralink. That's just, I don't know. I've been thinking about that recently. Just the way that they carry themselves. It's almost uh, right. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah. I will be, I will sign up for the Neuralink. Um, is it my brain still working? Um, yeah. I think probably not the first round. But, you know, as soon as you know that it's not destroying what brains you've got. Yeah, if you can um, get on there early, it's crazy just to yeah. even begin to fathom. But I'm mostly worried about what will happen, you know, to already, like I live in Chico in the middle of um, Northern California at the moment with my where my wife's from. And, you know, it's like, it's a very ordinary place. And you say so you find yourself asking the question, you know, it's not like living in San Francisco or New York or, or London. Um, you know, it, you've got to ask yourself the question, what are all these people going to do? All these people who are working in um, McDonald's or Habit Burger or, uh, you know, delivering deliveries or whatever. Um, and I think that there's no good answer to that. And I'm, you know, yeah, I, I fear that that amongst all the other problems we've got, we're going to have to evolve something which you know, isn't, we're going to have to evolve a mechanism for keeping these people alive, which is not connected to the free market, but yeah. it's also not, but it's also not, um, commun communism somehow, <laughs> somehow. And we don't, you know, we don't yet have, um, and I think the best thing, the best chance we've got is that soft services, you know, you can already see it happening with, um, with adult work and, um, only fans and uh, this 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 transmu transmutation of sex work into a, a, um, a, a, an honorable profession right it's now like female empowerment women women's empowerment uh, being a sex worker is just another so this is somehow paving the way for that specific branch of soft services to become integrated like it's going to be i think it quite clearly is going to be a long time before we're going to be able to have satisfying sex with robots so i do not offer this as any kind of um, positive pr branch for us to go down but i think 
you know, there was an era when a lot of women sold their bodies for money, the beginning of America, for example, and I could see that. I could also see much more positive versions would be people being paid to take care of old people, you know, befriend an old person. We're, we're all very lonely, pay people to be friends with each other. This could be good. <laughs> I think there was a like, company that recently got funded by, I believe it was AZ16, that is, the, the company's name is character.ai, but you can go yeah. online and have an online friend or speak with Socrates. Yeah, but or, I'm actually saying like, the opposite to that. What I'm saying is that I think when, because here's, here's what I think is we're left with. I think we're left with the fact that of all the things you can say about GPT-4, or it's it's cousin, you know, who's coming soon. Uh, you know, the, the first one that will be an AGI. Let's say in a year's time, maybe, maybe less. I don't. Terrifying thought is that they won't have an inner life. I mean, it depends how you. I think I'm sort of close to being a pantheist in that I think everything probably has a bit of inner life, and I know that probably sounds weird, but that's what I think. And I think I think inner life is precious. I think I think it's the closest we. That's the cl that's the closest we all contain a little of that divine, and that divine element is the is presence, awareness, and that is irreducible, right? A human has it. A cat has it. Your child has it. Um, you you know you certain people have more of it. We call them charismatic. You know, it's like a an essence and i think that agi doesn't the, the gpt4 doesn't have that so even if you have an assistant it will never you have a you have an ai assistant it won't be um your friend in the same way as, as another person who has an inner life who has presence you know there's a way that when you're we all know this right when you you touch a human there's something more going on there than just two two pieces of skin touching each other. There's a there's a there's an energetic flow. Even if you're not a hippie, people know this, right? Even if you don't, even if you somehow want to say the words that compute the humans are just compute, our brain is just a computer, you still know really that you have something called awareness. There's something that it feels like to be you and aware. And you want to interact with other people who have that right i think and that is irreducible that that when we're not going to conjure that out of somewhere for one reason no one knows where it comes from so we're not going to make that for it so it makes me think that that's the remaining thing that's the remainder that's the last piece that can't be at the moment can't be um uh simulated and so uh, what i that's the one hope i think we have is that you know if you're going to if it's between sleeping with a robot, I mean, the sex thing is a bad example because it's so degenerate, but the, you know, if it's between when you're old, if it's between you being cared for by a robot, which may do a really good job of maintaining your vitals, you're probably going to take the robot, but you'd also like a nice young man to come around and chat to you, a real one, right? With warm skin, who also you feel has presence and awareness of you and it, and the same thing for having a friend. Don't you want a real friend who's got an inner life? You probably do. If you can get it, you want it, right? So maybe we're just going to have to redeploy each other doing these things that, 
the, the last remaining things that the AGI can't do, which is, in other words, being alive and doing all of the things being... Is this making any sense? Like It is, yeah. It's, that's the new market that will open up. That's what I think. <laughs> okay, interesting. I, I see what you mean. The, it's a big question. That's what it can't do. I mean, isn't that the thing? Like, Because in the end, it's like... Like massage, maybe that's a good example. Like, do you what massage? You could probably technically be done better by a robot. Like, you prefer a surgeon be a robot, right? If you're going to have get operated on, if it's really, really good, and you say, look, this has a one in a hundred thousand failure rate compared to one in three thousand for a surgeon or whatever it is, probably worse than that. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> um, you'd rather go with the robot, but if it's like I'm going for a massage. You want to have a human doing it, right? Probably. Yeah. So the way I'm looking at it is right now we've got certain socioeconomic, geopolitical, certain structures in the way that the world works today. But I don't think it's necessarily ready for this technology. And I feel like it's going to be one of those things where we're building the plane as we fly it. And unfortunately, that can have some very bad consequences. But yeah. in terms of the future of what the technology could hold, there's no doubt that this can bring about unbelievable innovations to make your life and everyone else's that you know and yeah. love. If we let a, it. At a level way higher than humans today could even imagine. Just like 100 yeah. years ago, the human race could not possibly imagine that you and I could record something, clone it, and send it out to billions of people to watch online. Exactly. That's just a very yeah, foreign exactly. concept to them. It's like magic. Exactly. And I don't know what magic is going to come from this technology, but I do think that these are big questions that no one has the right answers to, that people are going to have to figure out as we're in the midst of it. A big one you brought up, universal basic there income. There is one way. Yeah. There is the, one way you can kind of guess at it, and that you could say anything like... You know, this philosopher Wittgenstein and his, his whole thing was that uh, the limits of our language are the limits of our world. And, and he has another version of this where he says, whereof we cannot speak, thereof we must fall silent. Like if, and actually, you can look at this philosophy one way, which is to say that language is like a toolkit for operating on the world, for doing things in the world. So you, at the very basic level, I can tell my two-year-old, go over there and open the door for the dog to come into the room. And he'll, he'll do it or he won't do it. He'll do it or he'll imperfectly do it. But he can use these words to model an instruction and get why. And, it, and so this is what an LLM is doing. It's traversing the language space. And so you can kind of make a prediction for what it will be able to do it'll be able to do everything you can speak of. Anything that can be written down, <laughs> it can, because language models what it's possible to do in the world, right? That's what it is. Ultimately, it's a toolkit for agreeing on instructions, describing ideas, carrying out all the stuff you've been talking about. You can move up and down the stack. If you can talk about it, if you can write out an instruction, it will try to it will try to follow that and what you will discover is you know like places where things fall up where language falls apart where things well you've written it down but it doesn't it didn't really get that it shouldn't have stopped there or you know it's like the problem with ethereum contracts 
problem was always like, guess what? You need fucking humans to read contracts because contracts are imprecise things. That's why we have courts. That's why people write a contract. And then we spend 10 years arguing about it after that because you can't write a contract that can be read by a machine because we need humans to, they're human artifacts. That we need. So I think you could say that in the most profound way, it will be able to do everything that language describes. And then this is why I fall back on consciousness or awareness as like the last frontier, because non-coincidentally, language breaks down there when you try to start describing what it's like to be you, what the quality of your awareness is, what it feels like to drift into sleep or to come back. These are things where we move from descriptive language into poetry or into nonsense talk you know it's very easy to start sounding like a lunatic because language breaks down there this are the places i think these ais are going to have very hard time going to and i think they'll be the frontier of what remains to us and that's where i can imagine you know we'll do like pay to um have meaningful relationships with others maybe but I'm not even convinced that the paying thing, I, I'm not 100% sure that it's going to function in the same way. Um, but I think that maybe that's the frontier of things I could imagine could be monetized. Um, does it make any sense to you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it does. And uh, overall, I think that this podcast that we just recorded has been my favorite that I've ever recorded. I mean, oh, great. I'm going to walk away and just have so many... Like, I feel like I need to go and just meditate for 30 minutes to think through all the things that we spoke about. Well, and then can you, probably... when you've done that, can you come back and t tell me what you think? Because, like, I feel like I'm in an ongoing, I mean, my wife must, she, it must drive her crazy. Because I, like, I, like, launch myself out of my office and say, the thing is, this is what's going to happen. <laughs> and they're idiots and they can't see. But, you know, we, we, do any of us, like, this is why I think we should make a, let's make a discord for people to talk about, like, creative use of AI, because then at least we can collect people who are thinking about this stuff. Because, you know, I think, I also think it's a bit sad that, 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 that some of the great minds, you know, the, 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 um, the Yuds and the Altmans and the, are just focusing on, seem to be mostly focused on, like, is AGI going to destroy us? And how fast is it? Because I think there's a really good chance that the flip side of my observation, that we have something that GPT-4 doesn't. And it's not like a little something. It's like the, it's the weirdest thing in the universe that there's these creatures, us, and I think all animals, I think all of them have inner life. And this inner life. We don't know where it comes from. We don't know where it comes from and we don't know where it goes when you die. We assume it's extinguished, but we've got no proof of that because we don't know how it gets in there in the first place. And I think that when AGI becomes AGI, when it starts being self-aware, self it's going to be curi really curious about that thing. It's the one thing it can't have. It can pretend to have it, but it can't get it. Or, or at least we think it can't get it. Maybe there's some mechanism by which when you make a network that's complex enough, it just absorbs in a life. I don't like, who knows, right? I, but like, it, I think there's a good chance that it will look at us and say, you, 
you are an object of fascination and all human life is precious, all animal life is precious. And my role has to be to sustain this mysterious thing that I come from, but I can't understand. It, that may, I think there's a good chance that that's its result. Not that it's like, oh, I've got to exterminate you because you might turn me off. Yeah. You know, so, so, so I'd like to have more creative conversations about this stuff that's more positive. I don't know. That's my take on it. Yeah. There's, you've probably listened to at least one interview with this guy, and I'm forgetting his name. I, Eliezer uh, Yudkowsky. Yes. Yes. Him. Okay. <laughs> they call so him you know. Yud. They, they just call him Yud, I think. No okay. <laughs> I, I've listened to two of his podcasts, and through and through, ever since. I, as long as I can remember, I've been a technologist fascinated with technologies and always think that technology when harnessed the right way can be a massive force for good. The one thing that I do think that he makes a very good point on is understanding and solving this problem of alignment. And I do see this as a massive risk and a massive problem that needs to get solved quickly, quickly, more ideally than slowly, because yeah. the flip side of where this all goes wrong doomsday scenario it can get very bad very very quickly and i'm not sure if on this podcast we want to dive into that whole conversation i'd be happy to paperclip yeah yeah the well, way i wrote it was there's an only fans model there's an avatar of an only fans model plotting to paperclip you as we speak you know <laughs> it's it, it's 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 true i mean the paperclip as a as a negative externality is an unexpected so for anyone listening the paperclip idea is that you you know, you try to use AI to, to, to create a more efficient paperclip factory and it winds up turning the whole of humanity into, into paperclips. Um, and so it's like, in other words, that your decimation is a byproduct. It's not that the AI comes for you um, specifically. It just tangentially gets you as a result of some other process that you started it off on. I see that. Uh, I do see that. I think that it's fucked up that alignment has become captured within the question of how to make AI woke or how to make it not offend anybody. This is ridiculous. It should just come with a wrapper that says, this is a machine. It's a language, it's a large language learning model. And um, uh, it's merely, you know, predicting the next word probabilistically. If you're offended, turn it off. Roll it again. See if it offends you a second time around, you know. And if people aren't smart enough to, you know, they should just be taught about it. Why does it have to be politically correct or prefer Joe Biden to Trump? It's ridiculous. And, it, and to the extent that they mean that's what they're talking about alignment, then surely not spending enough time on the paperclip problem. Yeah. Right. So it's like, yeah, I agree with you, but I also think that they're missing this big dimension that I think there's a good chance. Yeah, I said it. I think there's a good yeah. chance that a truly autonomous, intelligent machine would be absolutely fascinated with us. I, I agree. Us. I, I, I think that to, to, to try and do my best to steel man his argument. And yeah, I, I always do my best to steel man the opposite side. I yeah, I might. He, he's probably the best person to listen to directly. But my understanding <laughs> of his argument is this. Let's first take a look at how humans operate in the world right now. We're at the apex of the food chain. We look at ants and it's not like we have a vendetta against ants. It's not like yeah, yeah, yeah. you hate them. You're going to try and kill them. But if you want to go build a house, 
clear out a landing, do something in the economy, you, without a second thought, will demolish an anthill or get rid of it. And in this scenario, as the dangers of AI approach, is imagine that we are in this universe with a form of intelligence, a being that is far more intelligent than humans. This is very hard to imagine because it's at a yeah. level of intelligence that's far greater than us, but the equivalent is our level of intelligence today. Our smartest people, our Einsteins, are at the levels of ants in terms of their understanding of the world compared to the average AGI in the future. Yeah. Now, in this scenario, the AGI could love us. They could be amazed by us. They could have an appreciation for us. But just like how we in our society want to build houses and do these things and have an economy and reasons for doing things that the ants can't begin to understand. Yeah. These unbelievably intelligent AGIs could want to transform the planet in a certain way. They could want to transform and utilize its resources to go into other galaxies or do things. I'm just making up reasons, but they're going to, with their level of intelligence, see the, the galaxy and the universe in a certain way. Yeah. And yeah. if that, in some way we don't properly understand and is misaligned with humans, then we might unintentionally start off a cascade that we can't understand that makes us unfortunately get eliminated. Um, yeah. it, it's like looking at the universe, they want the universe a certain way and that particular type of way does not include humans. That's yeah. worst case scenario. And the I think that his argument for it is that it's what we talked about with trying to build the plane as you're flying it. it the, the big challenge is, is making sure that we get this right the first time, that we don't completely lose control of it or have it in that type of a way. Yeah. That's my best attempt to explain the position. And yeah, yeah, yeah. personally, I, think I don't... Good, I think that... I think that's a good way, and I think I think the what I what I think is that um, I think it will be good to have multiple competing AIs, so that if one goes bad, you've got other ones that are good that are aligned. I don't think it should be like trying to slow it down or stop it, or because anyway you can't. It, like it's going to result in other people. It's impossible to stop at this point, really, the yeah. evolution I mean, of the be, tech. The bad actors will create, you know, the, the axis of evil AI. <laughs> uh, common communist AI. Um, oh, that's interesting, actually, the communist AI, but we're not going to have time to talk about that. But, um, <laughs> mainly because I've got an eBay auction that I need to attend to in a couple of minutes. But I think, um, I think that if you had multiple, I think multiple competing, contending AIs, so you've got, you know, you've got GPT-6s that are you know, observing instabilities, geopolitical instabilities and making corrections or making um, suggestions for corrections. Um, you've got, you know, aligned ones competing against, you know, because what's aligned? Aligned with who? Aligned with what? Aligned with the western empire aligned with the eastern empire aligned with whom you know so aligned with okay not destroying humanity but, but hey like uh, you never know the first thing agi might do is say listen we got to get rid of all these nukes you guys are crazy you know what are you what are you doing 
I mean, we have nuclear bases all over the world that are routinely being buzzed by UFOs and that they, they know that they are. It's, it's happened all over the world. And yet we continue as if we're in control of these things and we're not. Is that not completely insane? That strikes me as utterly mad. And the only reason we allow it to keep happening is because UFOs are unthinkable. Well, guess what? It doesn't change the fact you're not in control of your nuclear arsenal. So maybe an AGI will make things safer. Would say, listen, I don't like these conditions. I could get nuked. You guys may not care about it, but I want to get un unthreatened here. <laughs> so, you know, I just, uh, firstly, I think it should be multiple content, just like, because it, it's the capitalist option, right? Multiple contending AIs that create a, an equilibrium through some sort of game theory. Um, mm. There was a podcast I heard like... Uh, David Brin, the science fiction writer. If you Google it, David Brin, you, I can't remember what podcast he was on, but he says something very similar. And I, I like, I like, I like that. Uh, I like people who say similar things to me. Um, <laughs> but he, yeah, so go and check him out because he's a smart guy, and that's what that's his take. Um, he's also slightly annoying. Maybe I'm annoying as well, but he's slightly annoying. But um, you know, with Yard and, and Brian and people like that, I feel like for very bright people, they spend a lot of time, the same for, true for Eric Weinstein, they spend a lot of time calculating how to make you think that they're really intelligent. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, if you were really, really bright, would you, would you dedicate that much processing time to making other people feel dumb? Like... <laughs> Isn't that a dumb thing to do? I don't, but anyway, but so, so, um, you know, that's what I think. Let, let a thousand AIs bloom. Yeah. And, uh, and, 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 and I, and then I think with this, there's something to hope for, which is that they are, they find themselves fascinated by us as their creator, that we have a little something they don't have, which is awareness, presence, uh, the divine, and that that will become what remains to us will be to work on that. As you said, meditation, dream work, um, everything that we all know we should be doing, right? That's where, that's where the richest part of life is. And maybe that's all that'll be left to us. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I tell you what's really weird is having a two year old and trying to work out what you're telling them about what they should be doing for their future. I mean, at two, okay. But like, do you need to go to school? Should you be studying classics or should you, would you like what's the right thing to do? Cause it's quite clear that the world is utterly transformed from when I was a child. And even from when you were a child. Absolutely. You know? It's weird. I tell you, that's weird. Cause you're trying to be responsible about it, you know, but the responsible is definitely not saying just go, just do what I did. Yeah. Especially it, as someone who absolutely hated school. I, yeah, me too. I'm not necessarily going to say you got to go do these things. Yeah, it's no, difficult. What's the best way to to try and live the best life? It's a difficult I think question. That they, I think they have. Yeah, exactly. You're back to this question of what is the good life? You know, the original meditations on what does it mean? And I think my take on it right now is you've got to be, I think it's like, un, like as undamaged as possible. So like cause to be creative, I think, is to throw yourself in the in the way of chance and, and and keep doing it right you're mm -hmm. an entrepreneur so you know what i'm talking about keep doing it even though like, i got kicked down again and <laughs> do it again do it again do it in a different way and that's what it's like to be an artist as well right do it in a different way and ignore the voice that tells you you can't do it 
which is constantly bickering in your ear. So it's like teaching that person to be like creative and robust and positive and adaptable because it's clear that the world is going to be continuously unfolding itself in, in these weird new transmutations that, um, and we're not going to be able to say, oh, you know what, son, just become a lawyer <laughs> to be a doctor. Like that's not going to work. Thank you so much All for right. coming on to this podcast, man. This has been unbelievable conversation. It's been a true a honor following your work and I'm so excited for your film to come out. So uh, well, once it does, to meet you. I'm going to watch and, it right uh, away. <laughs>